to Project Vox Populi, where the people speak their truth. Welcome to another Veritas Vox Populi, where the people speak their truth, a platform to give a voice to the voiceless. Tonight's witness had a first encounter when he was 14 years old. It involved three other people and a group of non-human entities. The event occurred during the 1986 Burside meteor shower. But even though we will discuss his initial experience, we'll also discuss his post-encounter experience. Greetings from your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Tonight's Box Popular witness is Ian Wilson. Following his encounter, Ian started to explore a state known as lucid dreaming in 1987 and has explored consciousness during sleep for over 32 years. Ian is the author of four books titled You Are Dreaming, The Theory of Precognitive Dreams, A Course on Consciousness, and Living a Dream That Lasts a Lifetime. Usually, Vox Populi is reserved for people who are not known or haven't written books. But I believe his books were written as a result of the experience which has not been discussed in the media before. His website is youardreaming.org. Ian Wilson joins us directly from Canada. Hello, Ian, and welcome to Veritas Box Populi. Hi, Mal. It's very nice to meet you, and thank you so much for this opportunity to have a wonderful discussion. My pleasure. Well, how did I meet you? Well, I haven't met you yet, but it was somebody who referred me to a very known forum in the alternative uh, uh, news world. I read uh, the thread, and I really enjoyed the story, and I thought this would be a good Vox Populi. Let's start from, tell us a little bit more of your background. Well, I'm a graphic designer, a software engineer, and a writer. And as you know, um, you know, I live a very normal, average life like everybody else. But when I go to sleep at night, I have made the choice to participate in the act of dreaming, by bringing my consciousness with me for the ride rather than having it go into a state of unconsciousness. And I have done that persistently for 32 years. Um, and it's just a second life. What else can I say? It's interesting what you just said, because I've always thought we have eight hours of the day where we are working. We have eight hours of the day for those lucky ones to enjoy life, if you will. And eight hours, a third of our lives are spent unconscious sleeping if you're lucky to have eight hours. But what you're saying is that you want to participate in that part that we call unconscious. Let, let's start from there, and then we'll go to your story. Oh, sounds good. Um, as we know, lucid dreaming is an act of becoming fully awake and self-realized in the dream state, just like right now we're lucid and we're self-aware. And by being conscious, that means you're now exposed to your memory, your logic, your awareness, everything that makes you you. Um, making the dream experience a far more realistic and enriching experience. <clears throat> and uh, 
you know, for myself, my when I first had my first lucid dream, it was a no-brainer that this was something very intrinsically enriching. It was fun. So, and it has never stopped being fun. It's just been a gold mine of indescribable experiences. We'll dive into your story right now, but your focus on dreaming, your study, your research, writing these books, did this come as a result of the experience we're about to discuss, or was it just something else? I think the experience definitely helped play into it because it opened my mind up. Um, one of the things that we do suffer a lot from being in this deep immersion of human experience is um, very narrow-minded thinking about the nature of reality and the nature of ourself. Um, and through that vehicle, you don't really grow much. You're going to have sort of looking at the universe through a pinhole. But once you start stepping away from stigmatic belief systems and things that can be barriers, um, the universe opens up to you. And so I just let it. Okay, so let's go back in time. Where did you grow up and how did this experience happen? Well, I am, right now I'm in Penticton and at the time I was also living in Penticton. I was 14. It was August. And uh, of course, the parasite um, meter shower was taking place and my parents thought it'd be fun to take us out to a place called Asuius where there was an observatory place that you could go to um, up on a mountain to have a better look at the skyline and, and see the meteorites. So we drove up there and there was quite a few people there with telescopes and whatnot, amateur astronomers wanting to catch a glimpse of whatever shooting through the sky. And uh, I was with my friend, he was the same age as me, and we were left in the truck as our parents went off to you know, meet other adults and stuff like that. And of course, we're from the truck watching meteorites shoot through the sky and a little bit bored. It wasn't the most exciting thing. But then I did notice something in the sky that instead of moving forward, it moved backwards, which caught my attention. And then it sort of sat there like a star, but it moved in a circular pattern. So it was a very small circle. And I thought um, that was strange. So I pointed it out to my friend and, and he saw it and he agreed. He said, yeah, it's moving. That's different, right? Like we didn't know what to make of it. And then we also noticed that it seemed like it shot something out of it. And, and both of us were like, well, that's very strange. So we wanted then to go and get some confirmation. So we tried to find some adults and we met these two amateur astronomers that were grownups. <clears throat> they had a telescope and we pointed it out just out of our own curiosity. And they were curious too. So they looked through it and agreed that, hey, that's not normal. That's something that you know, seems somewhat odd in the sky. And they hadn't seen something like that before. And I looking through the, the telescope, he said, yeah, that's not that's not a meteorite. That's not a star. That's something, right? And then they too saw something shoot out of it. And we thought what came out of it may have potentially landed in the forest ahead of us. And the grown-up said, well, let's just, just out of curiosity, let's just walk that way. Maybe there's something there. Like, you know, um, and we didn't know any better. And of course, I didn't, at that time, I had no belief in aliens. Um, I was actually quite a skeptic at that point, which is kind of funny for a young 14-year-old, but uh, that's a story in itself. Needless to say, no belief in anything paranormal, no belief in anything psychic, just your average, you know, this is just it and here we go. So off we go for this walk on this cattle trail towards potentially whatever might be there, if anything at all. And uh, to all of our surprise, um, I walked face to face into a group of about three of these beings that certainly weren't human. And um, one of them reached out and touched me on the shoulder in which uh, I panicked because, you know, this is something that I wasn't prepared for. They weren't prepared for. And I just turned and screamed and ran away as fast as I could back to the truck. And uh, But in that encounter, what was very interesting about these beings is that, you know, they were humanoid. 
but they also seemed to have almost like a cloaking technology because they were see-through, they were translucent, the light was reflect, refracting through them. So when they moved, it was apparent they were there, but I'm sure if they had stood still, it would be almost completely camouflaged. Um, and all four of us did see them. And so we ran back to the camp. And of course, the, the grown-ups were extremely excited about that. And, and, and the guy took my name down and said, well, we should keep in touch. We never did. But, uh, you know, undeniably, it was something all four of us had witnessed. And then, of course, I tried to tell my parents and people, but no one believes, <laughs> as is the way here. So I've, I've kept that story pretty much sealed up for 33 years. And I just thought one day, just it felt like I should share it. You know, who cares if I, people think it's nuts or whatever? I just felt it was just more important to be honest about something that's genuine than just keep it in the dark. I mean, what harm is there in discussing it, right? Do you think that because of what's happening right now, I mean, you turn on the TV and you can't, every few hours, there's some talk about UFOs, about uh, strange aerial phenomena everywhere. Is this happening in Canada too? Well, you know, this is, and, and I, I just, I don't know what to make of it. So last night, you know, in preparation for our discussion, I wanted to go to a nice quiet spot to kind of reflect on some quality topics to talk about. And so I drove off like I often do and sort of off onto a, a logging road and pulled across so I could see the lake. And believe it or not, and it's so strange, there were three low-flying craft that weren't airplanes that just seemed to kind of hover almost like it was observing me. And I'm like, and, and again, I'm thinking, is this another encounter of some sort of weird state? And one of them just quickly disappeared. And then the other two just drifted off. And I saw a plane in the sky with the usual plane light. So I'm thinking, okay, this is really weird because now did I just, am I looking at UFOs here or something? Because it was very bizarre. And that was last night. So I don't know if this conversation is <laughs> Are you serious? for that result. So I'm you've never had a, another experience since 1986. And just the mm -hmm. day before an interview, you have Some, another one. It was very unusual thing. But again, none of, nothing landed, nothing made contact, but it definitely seemed very unusual. And I was like, this is weird. So I just observed it and um, sat there until they left. And I was like, didn't have any binoculars, couldn't get a good look. But it was, you know, as far as I can ra rationalize, it was it was definitely, you know, helicopters. I would have heard them if they were helicopters. They weren't planes. Three of them. <laughs> and by the way, and of just, different sizes, yeah. you are inside Weird. of your car right now conducting this interview in a very nice, natural location Absolutely. in Canada. So I want you to keep your eyes and ears open. Your surroundings, you never know what could happen when these interviews are taking place. So they had technology to cloak themselves. I mean, our, our military has had that for decades. Imagine what right. these beings that, who knows where they come from, but they're probably thousands, if not millions of years more ahead than we are. <clears throat> I, I think they're about a million years <laughs> from what I understand, yeah. Right. So describe the craft, describe them more than what you just did. Well... From what I can remember, I mean, this was going back 33 years. The, because they were translucent, of course, I didn't get any really strong features. But the um, bodies were thin. The arms were thin. Um, the head was definitely kind of that egg-shaped oval, right? So um, the head was definitely, you know, larger. Um, you know, we have a certain anatomy of how our heads 
fit towards our shoulders. Um, so I think, you know, we're two and a half heads between our, our shoulders, but this would be like maybe just two heads. That's how large the head was in comparison to the, uh, the ratio of their shoulders. So, um, again, definitely humanoid, but not human, nothing I'd ever seen in my life at all. Like I knew at that moment that this was not something that, that, that's, that I could recognize as our normal human earth. Like it, it was definitely different. <laughs> Did you experience but, uh, any missing time? No, I didn't experience anything strange. You know, um, my biggest regret, and this is just my own, I really wish I wasn't so young and immature because I would have loved to have actually not have run. And I always look back and think, what a missed opportunity that was to not to, uh, you know, had I had the courage to stay, perhaps get more information. So I feel only in that it's such a rare experience, like I mean, it's never happened again. So that opportunity to share information or get better information um, was abandoned out of fear. So <clears throat> that's my biggest regret in that encounter wasn't just meeting them, but fleeing. Um, but I was a kid. I mean, 14 years old, what can you really do when you're encountering something like that, but run? <laughs> I mean, 14 or 40 or 80. I yeah. mean, if you encounter something like this that you've never seen before and they touch you, it is our just our natural reaction to just, you know, fight or flight. So I guess you, you did the right thing. So many other people who say, oh, no, I just stood here in peace. I knew they were benevolent. And I, I don't know what how I would react if that ever happened to me. But the people that were with you, what kind of conversations did you exchange notes of what they have seen? They had seen, was it different than what you saw? What did they say? No, we all pretty much saw it the same way um, and knew that they were somehow translucent. Uh, they were not normal beings. You know, they seemed non-human but humanoid. Uh, we're all very convinced at that time that they were aliens of some type, but that's just a very easy label to put on it. And I, and I don't believe that they were ghosts or some sort of spirit. Um, they, they definitely fit the, you know, if you get into UFO culture, what other people have described um, as some of the types of beings that they've encountered. Well, but they were not short. They were probably about five foot four, I think would be the height around that height. Well, just today, some of the, uh, I posted on our Facebook page news that uh, perhaps the U S space force, because some people are reporting snake like or cigar shaped craft flying all over the world. And some people are speculating this could be the U S space force. I mean, who knows? I'm, I'm a firm believer that if it feels like a metallic craft, it's ours. If it's something yeah. that looks maybe biological or just simply lights, could be something else. But in this case, could this be a possibility that it was ours and it was our space force that now they're claiming that it's new? I don't believe for, for a minute. I think we've had it for a very long time. What do you say? I actually, I agree with you on that. Yeah. I think there's been some very clandestine secrets being held by the U.S. government. When I've talked to people like um, that have had military clearance and intelligence um, that have told me that, you know, at the top level, they've, the U.S. government does know and does have access to recovered UFO craft, has been reverse engineering it. This isn't something for them that's an unknown. It's just something for the public that's left unknown and only because you know as you know there's a lot of big lies in our world where there's a lot of information that's being withheld from public consumption and the craft how do you describe the craft you said triangular well, that, that it appeared triangular um and again we're talking not a very long time to look at it because by the time i had noticed it, it had moved to a, almost a pinpoint or a star 
size in the sky. So it, but it was definitely a triangular shape when I had first noticed it. And, uh, yeah. And I didn't at that point have any closer look at it. This is why I mentioned the secret space program or the United States space force now, but you probably have heard of the TR3B Aurora craft. Have you? Yeah. And that's quite similar in a triangular shape, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, have you kept in touch with some of these witnesses, the others? No, um, I did exchange phone numbers with the adults, but again, at, at that young age, you know, I told the story to a few people, got ridiculed and stopped, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't even worth talking about. Um, there was, because it also invoked a lot of fear. It's one of those things you just kind of go like, geez, I don't know what to do with it, right? You don't know what to do with it. So sure. you're like, what do I do with this information? I People just think it's crazy, so you just shut up and uh, not really give it the attention. Um, I always kept kind of a bit of an open mind because as I grew older, I I never forgot that encounter. And I've actually have driven back to that place in hopes of maybe having a re-encounter. So I did that on and off on during around those times and nothing. So, you know, I was kind of hopeful maybe I can have that opportunity not to run, but I never, never came around. (laughs) Not so quick. I mean, what just happened? What just happened last night when you went, right? So when the being touched you, what did you feel? Well, that was interesting too, because afterwards I did notice a slight burning sensation on my shoulder that persisted all the way to the time we drove from Asuyas back to Penticton. So it had a physiological effect that was certainly very present on the shoulder, but it wasn't painful. It was just almost like a, a mild burning sensation in that area. So uh, there was definitely some energetic disruption or something that happened there that my body reacted to it. Uh, but there was no marks, there was no redness, there was nothing like that, because I definitely looked. Describe the area where the encounter happened. Was it a forested area? Yeah, it was forested. We ended up coming up to a clearing off of a cattle trail. So lots of very beautiful pine trees and stuff like that. I mean, it was uh, no clouds in the sky, moonlit night. You know, all we had was that natural light there illuminating it. So in that respect, it was very, you know, very scenic, very beautiful. And where we encountered them was when the cattle trail came out to a bit of a clearing. So. Did this affect you psychologically after it happened? No, I don't think so. I, other than the fear, that was probably the only real, you know, negative impact. But other than that, I started treating it more positively. Um, I started recognizing that this is a very unique and rare opportunity to have encountered something that a lot of people don't know about or wouldn't believe. But when you have a direct experience, you can either accept it or reject it. And I didn't ever really reject it. Uh, it definitely wasn't an hallucination. One of my friends, you know, said, oh, well, it was a group hallucination. I said, well, if that's a group hallucination, then you're just confirming telepathy, right? <laughs> you know, like, you know, for, for and, you know, uh, there was no alcohol or drugs. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't get into any of that kind of stuff until I got up to about 18 where I started, you know, drinking and smoking a bit of weed here and there with friends at parties. But you know, so it was at a good time where there were no other influences that would have affected me. And I was a pretty solid person too. Like, I mean, I was really deep into computer programming and physics and science and skepticism and all that kind of stuff. So to have that rattle that world for me was a very good thing. So somebody who was suspect when you were very young, 14, and at that time were very impressionable, but you were, you were a skeptic at the time. How did that shatter your paradigm? Well, it showed me that there's a lot more going on than we know. And that doesn't surprise me. I mean, the universe is an old universe and there's a lot of history here that gets lost in just time, right? So, 
you know, um, it made me feel good about the fact that I don't think there's just humans. I mean, our world is so centered on that human-centric ego that we seem to collectively want to... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, Proceed to the Veritas Plus member section, or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today, with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.